Chapter four of Peeps at People Being Certain Papers from the Writings of Anne Warrington Witherup by John Kendrick Bangs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter four Mr. Alfred Austin Anne Warrington Witherup read by K. Hand. Mr. Alfred Austin read by Nemo. It was on a beautiful March afternoon that I sought out the Poet Laureate of England in his official sanctum in London. A splendid mantle of fog hung over the street, shutting out the otherwise all-too-commercial aspect of that honored byway. It was midday to the stroke of the hour, and a soft, mellow glare suffused the perspective in either direction, proceeding from the gas-lamps upon the street corners, which, like the fires of eternal youth, are kept constantly burning in the capital city of the Guelphs. I approached the lair of England's first poet with a beating heart, the trip-hammer-like thudding of which against my ribs could be heard like the pounding of the twin screws of an Atlantic liner far down beneath the folds of my Mackintosh. To stand in the presence of Tennyson's successor was an ambition to wish to gratify, but it was awesome, and not a little difficult for the nervous system. However, once committed to the enterprise, I was not to be baffled, and with shaking knees and tremulous hand I banged the brazen knocker against the door until the hall within echoed and re-echoed with its clangor. Immediately a window on the top story was opened, and the laureate himself thrust his head out. I could dimly perceive the contour of his noble forehead through the mist. "'Who's there? Who's there? I fain would know. Are you some dull and dunning dog?' Are you a friend, or eke a foe? I cannot see you through the fog, said he. I am an American lady journalist, I cried up to him, making a megaphone of my two hands, so that he might not miss a word. And I have come to offer you seven dollars a word for a glimpse of you at home. How much is that in pounds, shillings, and pence? He asked eagerly. One pound eight, said I. I'll be down. He replied, instantly, and drawing his noble brow in out of the wet, he slammed the window to, and, if the squeaking sounds I heard within meant anything, slid down the banisters in order not to keep me waiting longer than was necessary. He opened the door, and in a moment we stood face to face. "'Mr. Alfred Austin,' said I, "'This same, O oh lady journalist, I'm glad to take you by the fist, particularly since I've heard you offer one pun eight per word, said he, cordially grasping me by the hand. Come right up and make yourself perfectly at home, and I'll give you an imitation of my daily routine, and will answer whatever questions you may see fit to ask. Of course, you must be aware that I am averse to this sort of thing generally. The true poet cannot permit the searchlight of publicity to be turned upon his home without losing something of that delicate hold on mr austin said i i don't wish to be rude but i am not authorized to pay you seven dollars apiece for such words as these you are uttering if you have any explanations to offer the public for condescending to let me peep at you while you work you must do it at your own expense a shade of disappointment passed over his delicate features there's a hundred guineas gone at a stroke he muttered and for an instant I feared that I was to receive my cognier. By a strong effort of the will, however, the laureate pulled himself together. If that's the case so Yankee fair, suppose we hasten up the stair, where every day the muses call, 
and waste no words here in the hall said he and then he added courteously i'm sorry the elevator isn't running it's one of these english elevators you know indeed said i and what's the peculiarity of an english elevator like britons neath the foeman's serried guns the british elevator never runs for like the brain of the scottish thane the thane you know of cawdor our lifts are always out of order he explained it's very annoying too particularly when you have to carry poems up and down stairs you should let your poems do their own walking mr austin said i i beg your pardon said he but how can they those i've seen have had enough feet for a centipede said i as dryly as i could considering that i was still dripping with fog the laureate scratched his head solemnly quite so he said at length but come let us hasten we hastened upward and five minutes later we were in the sanctum it was a charming room a complete set of the british poets stood ranged in chronological sequence on the table a copy of hood's rhymster well thumbed lay open on the sofa and a volume of popular quotations lay on the floor beside the poet's easy chair a full-length portrait of her majesty the queen seven inches high and sixteen wide hung over a fireplace and beneath it stood a charming bust of the late lord tennyson with the face turned towards the wall a beautiful workshop said i surely one sees now the sources of your inspiration tis true my dear tis very very true here in my sanctum high above the pave ma'am i can't help doing all the things i do not e'en my great immortal soul to save ma'am you see a man who daily has to write of things of which calliope doth side talk must get above the earth and leave the white who dully plods along the sidewalk he answered that's why i live under the roof instead of hiring chambers on the ground floor up here i am not bothered by what in one of my new poems i shall call mundane things rather good expression that don't you think the first draft reads mundane things mundane things handsome cabs and finger rings drossy glitter and glittering dross may i never come across merely mundane mundane things rather clever to be tossed off on a scratch-pad while taking a shower-bath eh yes said i what suggested it the merest accident i got some soap in my eye and was about to give way to my temper when i thought to myself that the true poet ought to rise above petty annoyances of that nature in other words above mundane things wonderfully interesting i put in was your appointment a surprise to you mr austin surprise nay nay my lovely maid pray why should i surprised be despite that fortune's but a fickle jade i knew the thing must come to me for in these days commercial don't you see from eyes like mine no things can e'er be hid and when they advertise for poetry twas i but in the very lowest bid he replied you see as a newspaper man i knew what rates the other poets were getting 
There was Swinburne getting seven bob a line, and Sir Edwin Arnold asking a guinea a yard, and old Kipling grinding it out for one in six per quatrain, and Watson doing sonnets on the yellow north and the red, white, and blue east, and the pink southwest at five pounds a dozen. So when Salisbury rang me up on the phone and said, I'd better put in a bid for the verse contract, I knew just how to arrange my rates to get the work. You had a great advantage over the others, said I. Which shows the value of a newspaper training. Newspaper men know everything, he said. I had but one fear, and that was your American poets. They're hustlers, and I didn't know but that some enterprising American, like Russell Sage or Barnum and Bailey, would form a syndicate and corner America's poem supply, and bowl my wickets from under me. Working together, they could have done it, but they didn't know their power. Thank heaven. If I may borrow an Americanism. Well, Mr. Austin, I said, rising, I am afraid I shall have to go. I fear your words have already exceeded the appropriation. Ah, how much do I owe you? The laureate took from beneath his chin a small, golden object that looked like a locket. Opening it, he scanned it closely for a moment. My chinometer says 963 words. Let's call it a thousand. I don't care for trifles, said he. Very well, I replied. That is $7,000 I owe you. Yes, he said. But of course, I allow you the usual discount. For what, said I? Cash, said he. Pool does it on clothes, and I have adopted the system. It pays in the end, for, as I say in my next ode to the Queen, to be written on the occasion of a ruby jubilee, a sovereign in hand is worth two heirs, presumptive, in the bush. In other words, cash deferred maketh the heart sick. Precisely. I'll put that motto down in my notebook for future use. I thank you for the compliment, I said as I paid him $5,950. Goodbye, Mr. Austin. Goodbye, Miss Witherup, said he. Any time when you find you have a half hour and a thousand pounds to spare, come again. Say au revoir, but not goodbye. For why? There is no cause to whisper veil when we can parley without a fear that words are cheap, my dear, said he, ushering me downstairs and bowing me out into the fog, which by this time had lightened so that I could see the end of my nose as I walked along. End of chapter 4